thing, and we worship all the time, right? But um, praying the Lord would be with us as we do this. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man, it's mankind. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So the question that we're facing today is, what is a woman? What is a woman? Looked at what is a man previously. What is a woman? So let me just put you on the spot. Let's take 20 seconds. Don't answer that question audibly. But if you have paper, write down your answer. If you don't have paper, write down the answer to that question just in your own mind. What is a woman? Well, I've had three months to think about what I just gave you 20 seconds to do. But one of the things that comes out in examining that question, even for 20 seconds, is it's a challenging question, isn't it? And it's my observation that this challenge is exacerbated, it's made more challenging by the reality that much of the time when that question is asked, the answer is given as some sort of a reaction to some battle. So as opposed to just examining the question from, well, what, is, what do the Scriptures say? It's usually answered by some reaction to some battle that's raging, some battle that's going on. So perhaps your answer this morning was, that's an impossible answer. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. That's indicative that there's some battle that you're referencing when you answer that way. Or maybe your answer was, I'm glad you finally asked, and you jotted down a thousand words in 20 seconds. Well, that's probably indicative as well, that there is some reaction to some battle. And maybe your answer was, I have no idea how to answer that, but I know one when I see one. And even that answer is challenging and challenged today, isn't it? Even this last week, in some, it repeats itself all the time, but in some competition somewhere, there was a weightlifter who won the competition by an overwhelming margin. And so the controversy started immediately. Well, are we sure that this weightlifter was a woman? By the eye test, it says no. By, by, by the biology test, it would say no. But by the answer that is apparent today, the, she was given the gold medal. This question was examined in a documentary you're probably familiar with, What is a Woman? And this documentary was tracing just how confusing this question is to so many in our society Today, especially Western society, it went to Africa, and it wasn't quite as confusing there, but certainly very confusing here. So the Dr. Reed was just examining um, what men and women on the street and what the experts, how they would answer this question in many different fields. And it really just exposed the confusion, exposed really the lunacy of thought when it comes to this question. But... But what, what grabbed me was the very end. The very end of the documentary was the question was asked to just the documentary maker's wife. And the answer was an adult human female. And I just thought, this can't be the end. That tells me something, but it almost tells me nothing. And so that was deeply unsatisfying. But even in the Christian world, this is a question that is rife with strife and is rife with confusion and it's very challenging to answer. And it's because most of the time it's answered in relation to, again, some battle that's raging. So even this summer's raged in conservative Christianity as the question is asked and the answer really is given in terms of ministry roles. So it's not... What is a woman, but, 
but, but roles. So you don't get the answer of what is a woman. So what is a woman can't, what can a woman do and what can a woman not do is sort of how we understand what a woman is. That's not satisfying, is it? It's not very helpful, is it? Now, it's certainly important that we talk about roles, roles in ministry, but I'm asking something more fundamental than that. What is a woman? There's a lot of material to read. And most of the material, again, starts right there with roles. So most of the material, when asking the question, what is a woman, immediately runs to something about a role as a wife or a mother. And there are important things there, very vital things there. But even that leaves me unsatisfied because I have two adult females in my house that aren't married, which begs the question, are they three-quarter woman or half woman or what? And I don't mean that to be silly, but I really mean that. What is a woman? What about barren women? What about widows? What about those who never marry? What is a woman? Well, enough about that. But let's just say this in the beginning. This is a subject, this is a question that is a very, very worthy An essential question to examine, isn't it? Let me give you three reasons why this is such a worthy, essential question to look at. Number one, because femininity, I'll I'll say that very few times in this message because getting that word out of my mouth is hard. Femininity is, according to Scripture, is highly, highly valuable And very, very powerful. So, of course, Proverbs 31 is a place we would reference for that, wouldn't we? The words of King Lemuel that came through his mother. The one that you're so familiar with. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Thinking about that verse, especially in relation to the context we just gave, I don't think this is one of those verses that is just hyperbole. I don't think this is a hallmark card where you just say something syrupy sweet and extra just to, just to say, I love you. No, this is, I think he's speaking in real terms here. The price, the value of a woman, the value of femininity is far above rubies. So, it's far above any material assets that you can accumulate. It's true. Just think about it. It's far above... In fact, there are many who have many, many, many material assets who are impoverished because they understand or haven't understood the value of a godly woman. And then there's power. Listen to this in the last verse. Give her, give this woman of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. In other words... You don't even have to write the card. You should. But the reality is that the fruit of her hands is is so evident. There is so much gain. There is so much value. There's so much produce. There's so much production that has occurred that you just stand there in the gates and you stand and wonder at it. That's powerful, isn't it? This made me think of The poem by William Wallace from 1865. I knew one line of the poem. I'm going to read the whole poem. Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace. In the palace, 
cottage, hovel, oh, no matter where the place, wood that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infancy's the tender fountain, power may with beauty flow, mothers first to guide the streamlets, from them souls unresting grow, grow on for the good or evil, sunshine streamed or evil hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Woman, how divine your mission here upon our natal sod, keep Oh, keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother, mother love and pearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women. Fathers, sons, and daughters cry. And the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand... That rules the world. Now, certainly, that's speaking of one aspect of what it means to be a woman. But it's nevertheless true. There's a great power that God has ingrained into femininity, an incredible value whose production praises it in the gates. So, why is this a worthy subject? Because According to Scripture, femininity is highly valuable and powerful. But secondly, this is a worthy subject because misplaced. Femininity is powerfully destructive. Let me just reference three places from Proverbs. Turn first of all to Proverbs chapter 11. You see, Satan, and I'm not sure we do very well, but Satan clearly understands the power of humanity. Let me say that again. There is a great power in humanity. Because we're made in the image of God, as we'll see again in just a few minutes. But humans are highly, highly, highly significant in God's economy. And highly powerful. It pleased God to make us in His image for this great purpose. And Satan understands this. And Satan knows that if he can just tweak our understanding of our humanity, if he can just turn its focus... And the same power that is unleashed, that, 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 is, that, is, that is designed for great good, can be unleashed to destroy. So, for example, we talked about this in the messages on men. If, if, if Satan can turn the male's eye away from the importance of initiative, of, of, of stepping up to the charge, and taking the reins and going and moving forward and creating vision and, 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 and movement. If he can just tweak that a little bit, he's neutered progress, hasn't he? Progress in a home, oftentimes ruined, neutered by just the lack of initiative. In the same way, if he can tweak the nurturing, building, relational nature of women that Scripture describes and just turn it into a struggle for dominance and control? Listen to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22. As a jewel of gold, there's the value. There's the value God has designed. There's the beauty. There's the, there's the really incredible power. As a jewel of gold and a swine's snout, so is a fair woman who is without discretion. The word discretion just means perspective. If Satan can just lead us to lose our perspective of what matters, of what's important, of who we are, then that which is designed for great beauty becomes a monstrosity here, doesn't it? A jewel of gold and a swine's Now Listen to Proverbs chapter 14. Here's the power we referenced. Every wise woman buildeth. There's strength there. Every wise woman buildeth her house. This means whatever God has given you to do. God has given wisdom and He's given this ability to build, to create, to make greater. 
to edify, to flourish. All kinds of words we can use. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but listen to the same power, turn in the direction, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. So just in terms of houses, just in terms of brick and mortar, something that it would take a dozer, a skid steer, something very powerful to destroy. He says, a woman has the power to do this with her hands. It's interesting, isn't it? Listen to Proverbs 27. You think I'm reading too much into that language? Listen to Proverbs 27. Verse 15. A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. But listen to verse 16. This is the verse I want. Whosoever hideth her. The idea is there's this contention happening. It's like the continual dropping in a rainy day. And so you go to the, to, to the place where the, the, the rain is dropping in the house. The house is leaking. You go to the place and you see, I'm going to put a bucket in there. And I'm going to contain this, this, this dropping by putting this bucket here. It's going to catch the water. And he says, no, you're not. Whosoever hideth her, whosoever is seeking to contain this, whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind. And the ointment of his right hand, which berayeth itself. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you have as much ability to contain the contention as you have to contain the wind. You can't do it. You have the same ability to contain this that you have to contain somebody who pours perfume all over their hand and says, I don't smell anything. You can't do it. It, The the, the fragrance is going to escape no matter how much you pinch your nose. In the same way, the wind's going to move no matter how much you put your hand in the air and say, stop, wind. That's power, isn't it? But powerfully destructive. Like uncontrolled wind or perfume. Here's the third reason this is a very worthy subject. Genesis 1, verse 31. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful verse this is. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. That's a great verse. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Let me tell you this. Every subject that we talk about on this side of Genesis 3, every subject we talk about is a gospel subject. Okay? What that means is that when you read Genesis 1 verse 31... In light of the cross. In other words, a gospel subject means that we as Christians read everything in terms of both the cross and the resurrection and the first sin. Okay? So we read it in terms of the sin, the cross, the resurrection. If you don't read that, you're hopeless, right? So when I read Genesis 1.31, it fills me, number one, with great joy. God made everything. Good and very good. And then it fills me with great sadness. Because I just read Proverbs chapter 11 and Proverbs chapter 14 and 27. And understand, this thing is not working out just exactly like it should, is it? By the way, we just preached five sermons to men. So we're not saying today by any means that um, women are uh, uniquely powerfully destructive. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying this is messed up, isn't it? Male was good, female was good, but sin infected everything. Everything. It infected relationships. It even went so deep as to infect the core of our identity as we're seeing today. Who am I? What is a woman? And making this a very difficult uh, question to answer in today's society. But... Titus 2.14 says that Jesus gave Himself for us. That He might redeem us, buy us back from all iniquity. And purify unto Himself. I love that phrase. Purify unto Himself. He's buying back for Himself. 
Purify unto Himself the Creator God, the One who made all things good and very good, the One who made male, the One who made female, the One who made uh, uh, relationships. This God purifies through His sacrifice, through His death for our iniquities. He purifies to Himself. He's bringing it back to Himself. A peculiar people, that doesn't mean strange, it means a people for His own possession. A people who belong to Him. Molded by Him. Shaped by Him. Redeemed by Him. A people, for, a peculiar people for Himself who would be zealous of good works. And so when I read Genesis 131, I am filled with hope. When I preach this message to this congregation, I am filled with hope. Hope that men will embrace what God's Word says about being men. So men, it may be good for all of us during the, during the course of these next few messages to go back and listen to those messages from back in, back in April and May, whenever they were. Because this is what God is doing. God is buying back through the death of Christ a people who are zealous of living out God's commission. And, and, and in our present moment, there is nothing, nothing more imperative for you to do if you're a male than to be a male in the image of what God has called out here. And there is nothing more important that you can do in this moment than be a female in obedience to what God has commissioned here in His Word. And so all these messages will have this gospel theme. Here's the design, and here's the curse, and then here's the redemption. Okay? Here's the design, here's the curse, and then here's the redemption. So what I wanted to do today, let me just give you, kind of give you an outline of what we'll do over the next few messages. Um, first of all, I, I want to go back to the very beginning today. That's what we'll do, is we'll go back to the very beginning it's important to go back to the beginning of anything to understand it. And then over the next few messages, we will look at five traits, five biblical traits of femininity that God has equipped every female with for the flourishing of humanity to the glory of God. So whether this is a, a whether you're a female who is married, has children, isn't married, doesn't have, doesn't have children. These are five traits that God has ingrained into every female for the flourishing of humanity, for the glory of God. So all are included. That's important to note. Well, let's go back for a little while this morning to the very beginning. What is a woman? What is a woman? Let me just start here with what a woman is not. Scripture says nothing about personality. It doesn't. That's, I hope that's relieving to you. It says nothing about whether you are a social butterfly or whether you're not. It says nothing about um, hobbies. It doesn't. Isn't that interesting how we, 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 we think of these very fundamental things in terms of personalities and hobbies an interest? Scripture says nothing about loving the color pink. Now, maybe more normal to, or more female to, I don't know. But Scripture says nothing about that. Scripture says nothing about hating sports. It says nothing about hating camping. It says nothing about whether you love outdoors or hate outdoors or love indoors. Or it says nothing about crafting. It doesn't. Now, we'll give some more flesh to that later. It doesn't say anything about whether you cry easily or don't cry easily. It just doesn't. So being female is not reduced to just what your personality is or what your interests are or what your hobbies are. Okay? So, but here's what Scripture does say. Let me give you four things today that Scripture does say in, here in the beginning. From the beginning. Femininity is something, being female is something that is rooted in your biological composition, 
and your inward spirit. We are bodies and souls, right? So it's rooted in your biological composition and your inward spirit that is different than males. Okay? Genesis 1.27 So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. There is a stand-alone glory that a man has that is different than a woman. And there is a stand-alone glory that a woman has that is different than a man. So whatever femininity means, it means something different than masculinity. And this distinction is to be acknowledged, is to be embraced, and is to be celebrated. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for building in such wonderful diversity into creation. In many ways, but praise the Lord, most of all, for building this diversity. We're going to understand why He does this diversity in just a few minutes. But for, He builds diversity into humanity. Male and female are distinct things. Okay? So, equality doesn't mean sameness. That we all are to do or be the same things. Any more than the equality of Jesus with His Father means that Jesus and the Father are exactly the same. They're not. There's a glory that Jesus has. There's a glory the Father has. There's a glory the Spirit has. And then this glory is course, combined into one. But they are also distinct. There's a Father. There's a Son. There's a Spirit. They are different. Okay? So it's rooted in a biology and an inward spirit that is just different than men. And there's a glory there. God says it is very good. Secondly, what does it mean to be a woman from the beginning? It means that females are made in the image of God. Let me just read this to you from Genesis chapter 2. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, because she was taken out of man. Notice Adam's first view, first vision of this woman that God had made from His own body. The first thing he says is, she's like me. She's like me. He's seen this in, in, in distinction from all that God had given him to do previously. God had given him the animals, the, the beasts of the field and the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea. And God had given them and said, Adam, you go name these. So Adam had been about this business of this uh, commission of, of naming the animals, but there's nothing like Adam among the animals. There's no... Companion, there's no help suitable for Adam. And then God puts Adam to sleep and God creates woman and He says, this is, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She's like me. This is different. And that's true. This is, this is like me. Like Adam, Eve is made in the image of God. Friends, this is a big thing to be made in the image of God. There's a dignity that comes to humanity from being made for this purpose to reflect the being of God. And yet notice, Adam also says, she's different than me. She is, he calls her woman. I can't call her man, she's not like me. 
So he calls her a woman because she's taken from me, but she's not me. She's not like me. And that's very interesting too. Remember, this is all under the category of being made in the image of God. Let me just say it this way. Women can reflect the glory of God in ways that are unique to their gender. Isn't that something? That just blows me away. That God made men in ways that can reflect the glory of God. In other words, I don't want to sound too theological here. It means that that you can learn something great about God from looking at how a man is and how he operates. And you can learn something different but equally glorious about God from looking at a woman and how a woman lives her life. Isn't that amazing? There's something that women can say about God that a man can't say. And there's things that men can reflect about God that a woman can't do. And yet, they were never meant to reflect God's glory just alone. But there's a harmony here. There's a, there's a joining here. You, you see, God is this being unlike any other being. He is one, and yet He's one in three. There is more than one that comes together for one God. It's bigger than me, but it's true. And so, there is this sharing in the nature of God. There's this sharing of purpose and this sharing of love and this sharing of harmony and this sharing of work that brings about all the glorious works of God that we see in our salvation and in His providential care for us that the Father cares for His children and the Son cares for His children and the Spirit cares for His children and He do it in all kinds of different ways but every way essential for the good of our souls, Right? The Father executing this plan of salvation, the Son coming, and though he, listen to this, though Philippians 2, who, who being, thinking of Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but makes himself of no reputation and takes upon him the form of a servant and is made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbles himself and goes to the death of the cross and the Father highly exalts him and brings him from the grave. Friends, there is a way that women can reflect the glory of what Jesus did in giving his life for us in a way that man doesn't, get, doesn't do. That's amazing to me. So I look forward to examining some of those things in the future messages. That there's ways that women can show Jesus. Is there anything, is there any greater goal in life? That's what Paul said, right? I want Christ to be magnified in my body. That's all I want. This is my earnest expectation. This is my hope that Jesus would be seen. And so it's amazing. God has written into the very fabric of who we are in our sameness and in our difference this ability to show the glory of Jesus just through our interactions with others and who we are as people. That's amazing to me. You are far more significant than you even know just by being you, just by being male or just by being female. Okay? So, being female is rooted in this Distinction from males, it's, being, it's rooted in being made in the image of God in a way that is unique to the, to, to the female uh, sex. And then thirdly, and this is important, because especially in our current cultural moment, what does it mean to be a woman? According to the beginning, it means that, that females were made corresponding to males. In other words, there's a standalone glory that's there, male and female, distinct. There's being made in the image of God, but, 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 but women were made, Eve was created corresponding to Adam. In other words, you're not just put into this world and then a separate entity that never relates, but you're created to relate. Created to relate. Created corresponding to men. This is seen in the, in the order and really the purpose of creation. You see, God could have. How did God make woman? We just read it, right? 
How did God make Eve? God, how did God make Adam? God made Adam. He just took from the dust of the ground. He breathed in, and he, he formed Adam and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living soul. And that's not how God made Eve. Now, let me ask you, why did God do this? Do you think God had a point in the way He made male and female? Could God have not just breathed out and then there were men and women all at the same time? That's not what God did, is it? What did God do? God takes... God knows what He's going to do. God knew that it wouldn't be good for Adam to be alone. Yet still, God made Adam first out of the dust of the ground, and then later, God takes from Adam's flesh, from Adam's rib, and He forms the woman, He forms Eve, out of Adam's flesh. What is God doing here? Why is God doing this? God is doing this to show, to demonstrate, that, there is, that the, the creation of woman is, 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 is there to correspond, to relate to men. By the way... He's not saying that men aren't to relate to women. Not at all. He's saying there's that interdependence and intermingling that men and women are built, are created to relate to one another. Okay? Bone in my bones, flesh in my flesh. You can see this in the biology. Not to go too deep into this. But biologically, women are created to correspond to man. Inward spirit... Women are created to correspond to man. Why? Why is this? Why did God do this? Well, God did this to, to, to enable mankind to carry out the mission that God had given man. So generically speaking, we are made in the image of God. But specifically, what did God make mankind to do? What is our purpose? We talked about this in previous messages. Let me just give you the three things again very quickly. God calls mankind to subdue, to take dominion over this earth. To subdue it, to bring it into subjection. Right? There's three things here. So bring order and bring function to this earth. God starts off, the earth is without form and void. God begins to bring order and function to the earth. God makes man, He makes mankind, male and female, to bring function, to bring order, to bring work, to bring produce to this earth. Then God commands in Eden, specifically He says, I want you to dress and keep this garden. I want you to cultivate this. I want you to keep this. I want you to sustain what I have made. In other words, make it, uh, make it more glorious. I want you to spread this Eden throughout the earth. And then the third thing, expansion. Be fruitful and multiply and fill this earth. Now, I know we're talking about things that happened thousands of years ago. In the very beginning, everything got messed up today, right? But just think about this for a minute. Think about this glorious design of creation. Just consider it. God says, I want a place that functions well. I want my whole, I want the earth to be this model, this bastion of functioning. So, so, the, so the cars that are driving this way never intersect and, 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 and crash into the cars that are heading this way, but there's order. There's green lights and yellow lights. And red lights and people follow that and, and, and traffic flows the way it's supposed to. I, I want there to be, be, be function that, that is, is, is just, it's, there's harmony. And you, go, you, you stand and go, wow, this works so well. And then I don't want this just to happen in this small corner of the earth. You see, I want there to be flourishing. I, I don't want you just to eat... Um, Chicken pot pie every night. But I want you to have Italian meals and French meals. And I want you to, to get the most out of bread. I want you to be able to make French bread and, 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 and donuts. And, and, and you know, there's so much more that's there, he's saying. Dress it and keep it and make it glorious. And then 
I want you to take this from this small corner, and I want from sea to sea, and from north to south, and from east to west, just be filled with image bearers where the traffic flows right and food is glorious and delectable and they all just <laughs> they all just wake up in the morning singing praises and praising one another and there's this big huge mountain of of the fruits of, of this this production praising these women in the gates and you say, that sounds so ridiculous and silly, and it's not. This is exactly what God has designed when He designed humanity. And He gives this commission to Adam, but here's the reality. Here's why women are built, are created corresponding to men. If you, I really believe if you know your whys, if we, if we know the why of things, we are going to be much, much, much more committed to the doing of them. Why does God do this? Because He says it's not good that man should be alone. In other words, here's what that means. It means Adam can't do this on his own. He can't do it on his own. The rest of creation is not sufficient for this task. There was a need for this. And I'm not trying to blow you up, ladies, but there's a need. This is what, what the proverb says. Is it, but the price is far above rubies. But Adam is not sufficient to do this glorious task by himself. And so God makes one who is suitable to come alongside Adam for this task to bring flourishing to humanity, to the earth. So she is made for his sake. Be careful how you read that. She's not made for his glory. And by glory, I just mean... She's not made to, uh, for his ego. She's not made to be his doormat. She's not made as a glorified slave. It's amazing, it's amazing how much warped teaching has come out of these passages. She's not made inferior. But she's made as a counterpart, as a help suitable, a help meet for this task. Not his help, not hired help, not his servant, but the help to do the task that God has called to be done. This is the help for God's commission. Now we, we referenced this in, in, a, in a message months back, but I think it's really helpful. She's, she's an opposite. She's a counterpart. She's different than... She's different then, and she brings something to the table that he is in great need of. The word is ezer. I probably didn't pronounce that right. But the word is used. Let me just give you a couple references. The word is used in Exodus 18 of a man named Eli Ezer. You can probably put those two words together and see, or put those two, two uh, together and understand what that means. L, L is always what? God, right? And then Ezer is what? It's help. So it's used to describe this God. Eliezer is called Eliezer because the Lord has been our help. So this word that God uses to talk about what He is what He's doing when He creates woman is the same word that is used to describe God who comes to aid His people. In Deuteronomy 33, verse 26, it's talking about the Lord riding upon the winds. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? The Lord is riding upon the winds. Can you ride upon the winds? No. You ride upon the streets. But not the winds. But the Lord can ride upon the winds as our easer, as our help. And so, again, be careful what you read when you read Genesis 1.20 and say, this is a help meet for me. What God is saying here is that you can't do this by yourself and use something really strong to come alongside of you to produce what I have called you to do. It was Again, it's never, the woman was never created just to be the man's toy for his own purposes, but instead to fill out the commission that God had called him to do. And so, let me just say it this way. 
This is really a comment about our interdependence, isn't it? Looking forward to getting to Genesis chapter, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in a few weeks. But here's the reality. He says, he says, woman, understand, women, understand, you were created for the man. The man was not made for the woman, but the woman was made for the man. But again, it's not, he's not saying you were made for the man's devices. But God made you to come alongside the man. And by the way, this can be a marriage and this can be not in marriage. God has made you to come alongside to work together. This is a working together, an interdependence that we have as human beings. Men need women and women need men. That's what Paul says later. He says, neither is the man without the woman or the woman without the man. But the man needs the woman, the woman needs the man. And so here's, the, here's a couple of stupid questions that come up all the time in some form when we think about men and women. Are men more important than women? Are men superior to women? Or are women more important than men? Do women need men more? Or do men, or do, or do men need women more? And I'm just going to say those questions are like asking if hydrogen or water or hydrogen or oxygen are more important for water. It's stupid questions that, don't, that aren't helpful. You, well, you know, you need two parts of hydrogen, so probably men are hydrogen, we need men more or whatever. But, but whatever you have, you don't have water. Okay? Or maybe the thing is, well, can't we have one sermon about women without discussing men? And the answer is no. No. God's design is of distinctiveness but mutual interdependence. You see, you can't have God imaging. And you really can't have humanity without women functioning as women and men functioning as men and doing it together. Let me say that again. You really can't have God imaging. I can't fully image God without, without relationship with women in some way. right? I don't mean um, marriage is the closest one, of course. But in some way, we depend on women and women depend on men. We relate together. Adam has a mission to do, but he can't do it alone. So Eve was created to join Adam in the mission. Let me just give you one more in closing. What we learn here in the first few chapters of Genesis, well, I love... Genesis chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1, after the curse, it says, And Adam knew Eve, I'm sorry, Genesis 3, this is, this, is, this is after the curse, verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, this is before there's any child, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve means life. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, she conceived, bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Let me just say this. We'll look at this in a whole lot more detail in the future. Integral to what it means to be a woman is the bringing forth of life. Now, clearly, I don't mean that you have to actually have a child to be a woman. But let me say it this way. Jesus said, it this, said of the thief in, in John 10 that he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. And the reality is, is that women bring forth life to every situation, every scenario, every sphere. Clearly, your bodies were made at least with a hard wiring, to be able to bring forth life. But it goes far deeper than that. There's a grace to life. There's a life to life. There's a depth to life. There is the building of a house. There is... It's almost intangible. But it's real, and everybody who has any eyes can see the life that comes to every situation. Because a woman's touch is involved. And so we'll think about more, that in a more deep, deeper level in certain coming messages. But know this. God has made you that life, abundant life, warm life, beautiful life, 
might be seen and experienced in this world. And I praise God. I praise God for the warmth and the depth of life that has been my lot because I have been around women whose price is far above rubies. What a power. Some of those women, some of those women, mother, grandmother, have directly influenced bringing me life. My wife bringing me children. But many of the women who have made my life so incredibly uh, filled with life never had a child at all. Warmth, depth, heart. So Jesus said, I have come that you may have life that you may have it more abundantly. Women, know this. This is who God has called you to image, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ who came that we might have life is the one who teaches what it means to be a woman. And so I can't wait. I can't wait, not because I think that we're just devoid of, the, of this, but I can't wait because I believe we have a congregation that is filled with people who want to know what God's Word says and who are interested, very interested, and not just interested, but desperate to understand what does God say in the middle of this really messed up generation and want to embrace God's way. So we'll look at five things. Over the course of maybe the next two or three messages, we'll look at five things that are integral into the biblical understanding of what it means to be a woman today. Look to the beginning, and oh, what a beginning it was. God, knowing with perfect wisdom what He was doing, said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so He makes a woman created in His own image for His glory. So may we be those who are seeking after the ways of God. Whether we are men hearing this message, may we empower the women in our lives to, to, to live and to serve out what God has called them to be, and may we treasure them. And whether, if we're women in this congregation, may we say, Lord, I want to hear from you. I am not interested in what the world has to say, but I'm very interested in what you have to say. And may God bless us to embrace these roles for His glory, for the good of His church, and for the good of, of, of His kingdom. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Genesis 1 and 2. We thank You for the beginning. And Father, I just ask for your help as we um, navigate these next few messages to do it in a way that is helpful and clear and is faithful to your word, that is not intimidated by the world's uh, message. Um, but Father, I also pray that we, we would do it in a way that is endearing and, and right so that those who may um, um, even have their, their ears slightly turned off just because of maybe miscommunication, misunderstanding, or even outright wrong teaching, would have their ears and hearts open to receive your word as it is. We pray in Jesus' name and amen.